Well, good evening. Good to be here with you tonight. Uh, yesterday, I didn't think I would be here. I went up in the hospital Tuesday morning. Uh, I think a little food poisoning. Um, slight traces. But anyway, good to be here. I'm full strength and health. And um, I brought some books with me. There's, some, uh, there's a little table in the back with some collection of books. Um, I'd like to just encourage you to take this booklet. Uh, it's on the Lord's Supper. And I've got plenty of copies. If I run out, I'll have more in my car. So uh, feel free to take one of those. If you think it'd be helpful to someone else, take two or three uh, as, as you like, as you wish. And uh, I trust it's a help. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 10. And what I'd like to do tonight is think about how God works in different people's lives to bring them to himself, bring them to salvation. And uh, it's an interesting thing. As you go through Scripture, you see God working in many different ways uh, to bring individuals to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come to the book of Acts, we see this. Uh, we're going to look tonight at a number of different figures in the book of Acts and how God in each case worked differently. And he does it in our lives. He has probably, probably done that in your life. Uh, you've come to, if we all get, got up and gave our testimony, we'd find God working in many different ways. Um, my father, who passed away last year, was saved when he was 27. He was in the Army and uh, raised an unsafe family. Never went to church a day of his life, I think. Never had a Bible in their home. And his father died an alcoholic. His brother died an alcoholic. Never knew anything about spiritual life growing up. He was a high school dropout, went to night school, had a very bad upbringing in a lot of ways, but uh, joined the Army, and a friend invited him to go to church. And when he was in the military, he was in Nashville, North Carolina, the first day he was in a church, first time he went to a church service, he was saved. He went forward, got saved, and his life was changed. Some people go forward and nothing really happens, but he made a sincere profession of faith place faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus, he was saved. Uh, I have a friend who comes down to the Tampa area. He's from, um, he's from Minneapolis. He's from an Indian background. Again, he was raised in India, Hindu background, not knowing anything about Christianity, really. And he came to the University of Minnesota, and um, there was a man handing out New Testaments. And I was with another fellow student, and the fellow student took the New Testament, but he didn't take it. And he went to his class... And uh, his friend said, why don't you take that New Testament? And he said, I don't know. I, I just didn't take it. He said, you should go back and go get that New Testament. So he left the class. And he went and took that New Testament, went down. The man that was handing out the New Testament was a missionary in India for 10 years. And he, he said, what part of India were you from? They had a conversation. In time, he shared the gospel with him. And he was saved right there in front of the table uh, at the University of Minnesota. Now, I was raised in a Christian home, and I went to Bible camps, and I went, my parents had correspondence courses from Moody Bible College for children. I, I did every kind of Bible lesson and went to church as many times as we had services during the week. I went to Word of Life Bible Camp in New York State twice. I went to rallies with Jack Wurtson. You name, I went to every kind of outreach and, and, uh, and, uh, presentation of the gospel, but I wasn't saved until I was 21 years old. I said no to the Lord Jesus over and over and over and over again. I remember one time 
I went to a Word of Life in New York State, Scroon Lake, uh, New York, and we were encouraged to have a quiet time. We could go anywhere on the, the island, the grounds, and have quiet time. I went to a rock. It was a large rock. I crawled up to the top of the rock. I was having my quiet time. My sister felt led to try to lead me to the Lord. So she crawled up on that rock, too, and um, she tried to witness to me. And, uh, and I said to her, I, she said, do you want to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? And I said, no. And I remember what she said next. She said, you know, if you trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior, say, I love basketball. She said, he will make you a better basketball player. Um, but that didn't convince me either. And uh, I remember telling her, and she crawled off that rock and went back to her, her room. But I was, it's interesting how God works in different lives. Someone with all the background I had, and I said no to the Lord over and over again. And that happens a lot. That probably happens to a lot of people who are raised in this assembly, in this church. Happens a lot to those raised in Christian homes. And it's interesting how God works in those who are not raised in Christian homes. We want to look at a number of figures in the Bible, uh, in the book of Acts, beginning with chapter 10, beginning with, uh, with Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, someone who had no real knowledge of the Lord Jesus at all. And it's interesting how God works in his life. And I am so encouraged to see God working in his life. We're going to look at, at the Ethiopian eunuch, and we're going to look at the, at the Apostle Paul. It's very interesting. When you look at these lives, you get a clear picture that the Lord Jesus is interested in bringing people to salvation in himself. He is working while we're working. He's working too. And we sometimes think, you know, it's all on our shoulders. We've got to go out there and knock on doors and go to the beach and do whatever and witness and our neighbors and our friends. And it's sort of all on our shoulders. And the Lord kind of stands way back in the background. And he's sort of just watching and saying, well, good job. You've done a real good job. And some have come to salvation. That's not the case. In this passage, in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, There's a certain man of Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of a band called the Italian Band. He was a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, gave much alms to the people, and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming to him, saying to him, Cornelius. And he looked on him, and he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? And he said, Thy prayers and your alms have come up, for a memorial before God. Notice what happens next. This, I think, is fantastic. I don't know how many times this happens. He says, Now send men to Joppa, and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon the tanner, whose house is by the seaside, and he shall tell thee what you ought to do. When the angel spoke unto Cornelius and was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier who waited on him continually. And when he declared all to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, isn't this a very interesting thing? Here's Cornelius, a, uh, a Gentile, unsaved man. And, uh, and the angel comes to him, tells him to send his men, his servants, to bring an evangelist to him so the evangelist could tell him the gospel and so he can get saved. 
Look with me, turn to page in chapter, a chapter rather, chapter 11 and verse 14. Now, Cornelius was not saved in chapter 10. He wasn't saved until Peter came and began to preach to him the gospel. In fact, in verse 34 of chapter 10, Peter comes and he opens his mouth and says that God is no respecter of persons and preaches the gospel to Cornelius and he gets saved. In chapter 14, verse, uh, chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, Peter is recounting to Jewish leaders who um, heard that a Gentile was saved. And he wanted to know how this could be. Hadn't heard of Gentiles being saved. Jews, yes. But Gentiles, he had not heard of that. And so he begins to explain in verse 13, and he says, He showed us how he had seen an angel in his house who stood and said to him, Send men to Joppa and ask Peter, Simon, whose surname is Peter, to come. Verse 14, Who shall tell thee words by which thou and all thy house shall be saved? He wasn't saved until Peter came. But God was working in his life. And as he's working, he asks, sends an angel to him to have him send men to bring Peter to him. Peter comes to him, tells him words, and he is saved by the Spirit of God, places faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we have a wonderful Savior. When we preach and when we share the gospel, here's unusual circumstance, but as we work, the Lord is there working all the while with us. And we should never think that we're all alone in, in our gospel efforts, but the Lord is there helping, working, uh, ministering, even as we share the gospel with those who are unsaved. Turn with me to chapter, chapter 8 in uh, the book of Acts. We see Cornelius being saved. But in chapter 8, we see the Ethiopian eunuch being saved. And God works in a different way in his life. God doesn't work the same way in every person's life. Very differently here. Philip goes to a city of Samaria. He preaches the gospel uh, in verse 5. He preaches Christ unto them. And it says in verse 6, The people with one accord gave heed to what the things he spoke. And evidently almost the entire city gets saved. Peter has a wonderful ministry. He, he has instantly a mega church that he is involved with. And now he's nurturing, preaching, and gathering them into an assembly and leading them, I hope, to, to worship the Lord and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8 says, There was a great joy in the city, but it's interesting what happens. The Spirit of God speaks to him in verse, uh, in verse 26. And he says, Arise, go down towards the south and the way that goes to Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert, now, it's interesting how the Lord works or, or how the Lord guides us. You know, sometimes we like a lot of details. I'm that way, too. I loved a lot of details from the Lord. How long do I stay? Uh, what's my house going to be like? How close is the grocery store? How am I going to get provisions? Um, who else will be there with me? None of that. The Lord just tells him, go. And he obeys. He goes. And when he gets there, the Lord gives him more information. And that's how the Lord works, isn't it? We go, we serve, 
we follow the guidance of the Lord, and as we go, he gives us more information. Notice what it says in verse 29. It says, The Spirit said to him, Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Here's the reason that you're in this area. And God speaks to him and says, Go speak to this person. Now, isn't it interesting how God is so interested in the one person? How many times in the book of Acts or in the Gospels do you see the Lord Jesus ministering and reaching out and speaking the Gospel to one person? Here in chapter 10, he sends for Peter. Cornelius sends for Peter, brings Peter to speak to one person. Here, Philip, an evangelist, speaks to one person. Nicodemus was spoken to by the Lord Jesus, one person. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, one person. Over and over again, the Lord is interested that we would go and speak to one person. Sometimes we think it's wonderful to have this large meetings and many are coming to the Lord Jesus, and that's wonderful, and that happens. But I think the usual way and the way we see in Scripture, we see the, the way the Lord operates, the way some of the apostles operated, was the Lord was interested in the individual, the one person. And as we do that, the Lord brings the one, one here and one there to himself. Philip runs towards this chariot. Evidently, the chariot was still in motion. He runs, he sees that this Ethiopian eunuch is reading Isaiah 53. And it says down a little bit further in verse 35, Philip opens his mouth, and at that passage, he preaches Jesus to this man. This man is saved, and he is baptized just a little later after that. And then in chapter 9, we have the salvation of the Apostle Paul. Here in chapter 9, we see the Apostle Paul sometime between verse 1 and verse 20. The Apostle Paul is saved. We don't have a lot of details about how it happens. We see the Lord Jesus comes because in verse 4, the Lord Jesus speaks to the who's, uh, Saul before he was saved. His name was Saul. And uh, he says to Saul, 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 why do you persecute me? It is so hard to kick against the goads. And the Lord begins to minister in his life. And here on the road to Damascus, Saul is saved and ministered to. And the gospel comes to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he places his faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus, and he is saved. He is baptized in this chapter. He is commissioned and given uh, a mission in this chapter. And, uh, and uh, Saul becomes a wonderful evangelist and a wonderful apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ. We see three very different ways the Lord works, don't we? One... Uh, Cornelius is told to go bring the evangelist to him. Chapter 8, the Lord sends the evangelist to the person in a chariot in motion. And then the Lord Jesus himself comes to the Apostle Paul in chapter 9. Now it's interesting when you look at these, two pa these three passages. One in, uh, in chapter 10 is a Gentile. And he's from Europe. He's from, he's from Italy. When we go to chapter 8, we see the Ethiopian eunuch, one from Africa. And then we see in chapter 9, we see a Gentile coming. But notice something else about these three passages. One in chapter 10, the primary, the primary means God uses to win that person to the Lord Jesus Christ is an evangelist, a person who goes and speaks to that person. But when you come over to chapter 8, 
the primary means that God uses to win that Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord Jesus Christ is the scriptures. Reading, poring over, studying, analyzing, being confused and not knowing the answers. But he's reading Isaiah 53. And God uses that. How can I understand the scriptures unless someone explains it to me? There in chapter 8, the primary means is scripture. Secondarily, the evangelist. And then when you come to chapter 9, we don't see the... We don't see the scriptures being used, and we don't see an evangelist being used. Uh, Certainly the Apostle Paul knew the scriptures. But the Lord Jesus Christ himself comes somewhere in between verse 1 and verse 20, and he comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see different ways that God works. But turn back with me to chapter 10, chapter 10 of the book of Acts. When you think of God working in these three, three different ways, sometimes people ask the question, but what about those who never have heard the gospel? What about those who never had the evangelist come to him? What about those that never had the word of God in their hands to read it? What about them? How are they saved? When you come to chapter 10 and verse 30, 35, it's an interesting verse. It's a controversial verse, but an interesting verse. Now, if you were to pull this verse out of context, then just had a Bible text on the wall and just had that by itself, it would confuse many people. Notice what it says. It says, But in every nation he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. He that fears God and works righteousness is accepted with God. Now you could read that verse and think to yourself, a way a person is saved is a man who fears God and does works of righteousness, and then he's saved. And some would read this, and some believe this is what this verse teaches. I could read you a quotation by a very good Bible commentator, of whom you probably have his commentaries in your library. In fact, since I said that, I'll read it to you. Uh, Somewhere here, where do I have that? G. Campbell Morgan. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He wrote many, many commentaries, and I have a number of them. My uncle was a big fan of his, and he gave me all his commentaries. Look, Look at notice what he says. He, Cornelius, is saved because he fears God and works righteousness. Oh, the glad and glorious surprise of those ultimate days we find those who walked in the light, wrought righteousness, and were accepted by him. So he thinks he's saved um, because he worked, he feared God and worked righteousness. Now there's two things, two reasons I think we can say this is not true with all respect to Brother G. Campbell Morgan and others who may hold that view. The two reasons are this. The Bible says over and over again that no one is saved by their own efforts and their own individual works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We're not saved by anything we do. And if salvation was 99.9% uh, God's side, and we had one-tenth of one percent to do, 
to keep our side of the bargain. We could never do it. We could never do it if one-tenth of one percent was on our shoulders. We would always fail at certain some part in our lives. The Lord Jesus does it all. The book of Jonah says salvation is of the Lord. And we are thankful that salvation is by grace. He reaches down to us and he says, place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that's what I had to do. And you should be thankful that's what, what we, our side of salvation, is not doing something, but believing something. You know what's fantastic about that is that's something anyone can do. A child of four or five years old can place faith in the Lord Jesus. An older person who can't go to a gospel meeting, can't get out of their home, they're shut in, they're wheelchair bound, they can place their faith in the Lord Jesus. You can be in a far land, under a tree, in a village somewhere that no one knows exists, and you can place your faith in the finished work. You can be a Muslim, you can be an African, you can be from whatever part of the world. You can come from America and not know a thing about the Bible, like my father. And you can place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it will save you for eternity. What a fantastic thing it is. We place our faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus. He saves us, keeps us for eternity. One reason why we don't believe that when you fear God and work righteousness, you're saved, is because it's contrary to what the rest of the Bible says. But another reason, too, here in chapter 10, this is the exact thing that Cornelius did. He feared God. Early part of chapter 10 says that. Here's a devout man, verse 2 says, and one that feared God. And he did works of righteousness. He prayed always, and he gave alms to the poor. He was a wonderful man. He did a lot of good for the people around him. But if he was saved by doing that, let me ask you a question. Why did he have to send for Peter? So Peter could come to him and tell him words whereby he and his household would be saved. No, he wasn't saved in chapter 10. He wasn't saved for doing all those things. He wasn't saved until Peter came and shared the gospel with him. You know, you may think your neighbor and maybe many other people around you that do a lot of good things, go to a church, maybe a liberal, Episcopalian, Anglican, Presbyterian, whatever kind of church it is, but they don't believe the gospel. Got a wonderful family, and they look like things are wonderful in their lives, but, you know, they're not saved. They're not on their way to heaven until they believe in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says here in this passage, or in the passage in chapter 10, they need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's only one gospel for those... Uh, in our day or even in the Old Testament. Sometimes people say, well, if we have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what about Moses and David and Samuel and all those people in the Old Testament? Did they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? If you were to walk up to Samuel or Moses or Daniel and you say, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior? And they would say, I don't know who you're talking about. I never have heard that name before. And so some would say, see, they didn't believe in the Lord Jesus. But wait, let's just back up for a minute. Let's think about some of these people. Let's think about Job, for instance. Oldest book in the Bible. Oldest figure in the Old Testament. 
chapter 9 and verse 2, what does Job say? This is a fantastic thing, something we'd never imagined he would say. He says, how shall a man be justified with God? He was thinking about God. He knew he was a sinner, and he knew he needed to have righteousness. And he said, how can I be justified with God? And then in chapter 19 and verse 25, he says, I know my Redeemer liveth. He knew about a Redeemer. He didn't know the name of the Redeemer, but he knew a Redeemer would live. And he knew that he would die and be resurrected because he says, and shall again in the latter day stand again upon the earth. He knew a lot about the Lord Jesus in the oldest book of the Bible. Abraham, one of the old figures as well, the Old Testament. It says of him in chapter 15 and verse 7, it says, Abraham believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness. We have in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and many other passages, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the death of the Lord Jesus, how we're separated by our sins and we need to believe in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There wasn't two gospels, one for Old Testament people and one for New Testament people. The people of the Old Testament believe the same gospel that we believe, the same message that we believe. Let's turn to Acts chapter 26 for a moment. The message that God used and was preached by his servants in the Old Testament, same message that was preached to the Jewish people. And also here in chapter 26, same message that was preached to the Gentiles. Notice in chapter 26 and verse 18. I love this verse. The Apostle Paul was sent first initially to the Jewish people. But in chapter 13 of Acts, I believe it's either verse 46 or 47, the Jews turned their back on his message. And the Apostle Paul says, And now I turn to the Gentiles. And he begins to preach the gospel. And the Lord gives him a message, a revelation and a message. And he tells about this message. He says... In verse 17, delivering thee from people, from the people, the Jewish nation, and from Gentiles unto thee, now I send thee. And here's the message he gave him. Now, how do we open eyes of people who are spiritually blind? How are people translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of salvation? How are people delivered from the clutches of Satan? to be the possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a brother in our assembly now, and he was raised in our assembly, or uh, was raised in uh, uh, another assembly earlier and then came and moved to our area, got involved in drugs, got involved in all kinds of different things. 19 years old, he, um, he was speeding without a driver's license, without insurance in the car he had. It was his girlfriend's car. Reckless driving down Highway 19, big highway uh, over in Pinellas County, and uh, speeding, and hit a car that pulled out of a stop sign. Two older ladies going to the mall, 86 years old, and smashed into that car, killed both of them. And was sent to jail for six years, from 19 years old till, I guess he's 26 years old now, and um, was saved in prison. And he told me, I, I visited him actually the first day or second day he was in prison. And the first thing he said to me, 
He said, I can handle prison. That was the first, thing, first, first words out of his mouth. But you know, he told me later on, he got out of prison in February. He told me later on that, uh, that God needed to send him to prison. He used to come out to the chapel and fall asleep on the back row. And he said for six, for, for, I don't know, from the time he was 16 years old to 19 or 20, he said his mind was fogged and blinded and filled with drugs. He didn't know what he was doing, what was going on. His mind, his, that time was a complete fog for him. Well, how, did, how was his eyes opened? How was he turned from darkness to light? He was turned by the gospel. Notice what it says in verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that, we, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them that are sanctified. And how does that come about? He says in verse 18, by faith that is in me. If you're here tonight and you don't have faith in the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus has gone to the cross for us. He's paid fully the penalty of our sin on the cross of Calvary. And he offers us the gift of salvation. And he says, have faith in, have faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, this is how eyes are open. This is how you're turned from darkness to light. This is how you're, you're pulled out of the clutches of Satan. This young man, that's what he would tell you, he was pulled out of the clutches of Satan. How is it all? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's turn to one other passage. Time is flying by. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Sometimes someone will come up to you and say, well, okay, people in the Old Testament are saved by believing in the Lord Jesus. Okay, people in the New Testament who hear the gospel, Gentiles, Jewish people, they are saved by believing the gospel. But what about those people who never hear? And the scoffer and the skeptic and the unbeliever will come to you. If you are out witnessing for the Lord, they'll come to you and say, but God is unfair. God is unjust. Because what about all those people who never have the opportunity to hear the gospel? And we say sometimes to them, yes, but the God of all the world, all the earth, will judge righteously. Genesis, I guess, 18.25. But I think it's good to point them to this verse. I think this is a, a equally or better verse than that verse to point them to. Notice what it says in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. Someone says to you, yes, but what about the people all over the world down through history? never had a chance to believe the gospel, never had the gospel come to them. Far-off village in Africa, some far-off island where the gospel has never gotten there. What about them? Well, we can read this verse to them, and it says in this verse, they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for thou wast slain. Notice the next part. And hast redeemed us to God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it tells us who, who are redeemed. This is the good part. Some out of every kindred and some out of every tongue 
and some out of every people, and some out of every nation. Now it's interesting to look carefully at this verse. Sometimes we skip over it. Read it quickly and say, that's a great verse, but let's take some time to look at it a bit more carefully. It says here that there'll be some redeemed by the blood of the Lamb out of every tribe. I take that verse seriously. I believe there'll be some from every tribe that ever existed in human history. I'm not sure how many tribes there were. I'm sure there are tribes that once existed that don't exist any longer today. But there'll be some who will be saved out of every tribe that ever existed in the world. And then it says, too, be some out of every language. Wycliffe uh, Bible Translators, largest Bible translating mission organization in the world, tells us there's 6,900 languages in the world. I think only half have gospel portions in their language. But it says there'll be some out of every language. That 6,900, maybe even more, because there's dead languages that don't exist any longer. The language Jesus preached in, spoke in, which is Aramaic or Chaldee, is a dead language today. No one speaks it. In the Passion of the Christ, it was spoken, but hasn't been spoken. It's a dead language. But it says, then it says, and of some of every people. Here it means those of the same race and same country. But then the last part is every nation. And that's kind of confusing because we think of nation and people are almost the same thing. The word nation, the Greek word underlining that English word is ethnos or ethnic groups. Be some that will be saved out of every ethnic group, subgroups within nations. And so that scoffer says, or you, he asks you that question, you can say, do you know There'll be some saved out of every tribe that have ever existed in the history of the world. Some from every ethnic group that has ever existed in the world. The Lord Jesus is actively working, and he'll say to you, but how is that possible? And what do you say? I think you can say this. I think you can say some will be saved through an evangelist just like Cornelius was. And some will be saved through gospel portions or scripture, just like the Ethiopian eunuch was. You know, Bill McDonald tells a story about a man who flies, who wanted to be a, a missionary in South America in Ecuador. His name is Chet, Chet Templeton. I think that's his name. And he flies to Ecuador and to Quito, and there's fog and rain, and his plane crashes in the jungle. And he dies, and all those on the plane was, died. But he tells a wonderful story. He says, many years later, uh, missionaries from Quito decided to go into the jungle villages and, be, and begin to bring the gospel to those people in, the, in that area. And as they go there, they find there's groups of Christians already saved in little churches in these various villages. And they said, well, how did you ever hear the gospel? How did you ever know about Jesus Surely no one has gotten here with the gospel before us. He said, well, 25 years ago, an airplane crashed. We went to investigate. Everything was burned. Everybody was killed. There was 
Everything inside the airplane was destroyed. There was a suitcase, and inside that suitcase was a container, and in that container was a Spanish Bible. And some could read Spanish, and one by one people got saved. And eventually the gospel spread to village after village. Some will be saved without any evangelist, but only the Bible. And then I believe some will be saved and have the message brought by the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe no evangelist and, no be, and, and maybe no gospel portion. But just like the Apostle Paul, I believe the Lord Jesus will come and bring a message somehow, some way. I don't know all the details, but I believe he'll do that. Now you say to me, well, what indication do you ever have that the Lord Jesus can do anything like that? Well, our time is finished, so I'll have to stop. Now I'll tell you. Turn with me to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Now you know as you go to Revelation chapter 7, you see John saying, I saw a multitude which no man could number out of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And John says to an angel, who are these? He said, these that have come out of the great tribulation have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. In the tribulation period, God is going to work. And he is going to, it says in Romans chapter 9, verse 26, all, chapter 11, 26, all Israel will be saved. And I believe that. I believe all Israel. It says all Israel will be saved. I think all Israel will be saved. Now, many will be saved through the evangelist, but many will be saved through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Now, when you come, when you come to chapter 37, it says in verse 5, Thus saith the Lord unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you. I will bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I prophesied as I was commanded, and there was a noise and a shaking, and behold, bones came together, and I beheld the sinews and the flesh, and so forth. And he says, this is the whole house of the nation of Israel. God is going to work powerfully in the tribulation period. The 144,000 are not going to reach every single Jewish person. And God is going to do a tremendous work by his spirit. And he says in verse 13, or verse 12, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves, I will cause you to come out of your graves, and bring you into the land of Israel. You shall know that I am the Lord, I have opened your graves, O my people, I have brought you out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. God is going to do a wonderful work through his spirit and those that were not saved by the evangelist are going to be saved through the ministry of the Spirit of God in a remarkable, powerful movement, greatest revival that ever took place in the history of the world and is going to happen through the ministry of the Spirit of God for all those who were not saved by the evangelists, by the preachers, the 144,000. They're going to be brought to salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. I just say these things in this message tonight to encourage us that God is working with us. 
God is working with us and doing a wonderful... He's the master evangelist. We are the co-workers. We are, we are laboring with him. And as we labor, be encouraged because he is working with you all through all of your efforts. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time tonight. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he works with us and he attends all of our gospel efforts and he brings conviction and he speaks to the hearts of people. And Father, we pray that you will uh, encourage us as we preach the word of God and some will be saved and some lives will be transformed by the spirit of God. And so we pray that you'll encourage us and help us and motivate us and challenge us to speak for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.